It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. Boys are back. Baby. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is reception. Perception. The show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Go, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception. Perception. The show. All right, Matt. How is it going on this fine Monday afternoon? We got a bunch of games, playoff games, baby, playoffs. Yeah, we're talking about playoff games right now, but um, and you and I were talking just uh, just now, but uh, you know, listen, man, they, they, we, we've gotten some blowouts here, man. I mean, this Detroit Lions, uh, you know, L.A. Rams game was was good. It was competitive. It was a lot a lot of fun, but oh my god, Lee, man, three of the four were just absolute blowouts. I would say it was a nice reminder watching the lions and the rams play like oh right this is what it can feel like when you get a close competitive like tight game right to yeah. the end and just man like what a i mean i i don't i don't care one way or another like with these two teams right like i'm i'm hoping that i get some of my bets right along the way but and sure. i love like <laughs> certain right. certain certain storylines right yeah, like that yeah, that's yeah. what i'm obviously watching for here and but i'm just like i'm a fan of good football Mm-hmm. It, like to the to the to the end of it here so it, it was like a man the the play you know where Jared Goff gets the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown after the call to throw it there like that just I don't know release is what I would say like oh man that was awesome like just that like the, you know in a critical moment like that it is great to see that I would still say though and I, I know this is probably like not the maybe it's not the right take maybe it's like a weird take okay. I, I don't mind watching a blowout every now and again <laughs> um like I, again obviously yeah it's better to watch um it's okay. certainly better to watch the the rams and lions go back and forth to the very bitter end and all that that's on the line and all that stuff that said like i do find it extremely entertaining to watch a team like green bay just put it on Dallas or Houston <laughs> to put it on the the Browns. Like I, cause to me, it's like, oh again, this is probably pure football dork stuff, but okay. I just like really, really good execution. And like, man, sure. when a, when a plan gets put together uh, and, and a system is put in place and like guys are all on the same page, even if obviously on the other side of the ball, somebody's not doing their job and things aren't coming together. At the same time, still seeing a plan come together like that is great uh, uh, from an offensive standpoint. So I do really just enjoy that part of it. Plus, last point on it, from a content perspective, I mean, I would say that we have probably more to discuss and pull apart and talk about because of some of these blowouts. So, I mean, <laughs> there's right. just like so much to get into Yo, as a result of that this. That is correct. Uh, uh, look, when you say that, okay, we're doing a little wink, wink, nod, nod to the Cowboys meltdown, okay? <laughs> because golly, uh, some crazy stuff happening there because uh, Mike McCarthy, three consecutive seasons where they've won 12 games um, and they just that they, they can't win in the playoffs, man. It's absolute yeah. madness. Um, so I, I'll ask you this. Let, let's start with that game, okay? So um, it was the biggest spread of the weekend. You know, most everyone thought the Cowboys, were play, especially playing at home, uh, going to put a lot of points on, put a lot of pressure on the Green Bay Packers, who, by the way, defensively, 
over the last month or maybe six weeks, is they have not been good defensively. Okay, let's be real. So we're thinking Cowboys at home, offense is cooking, uh, taking on a Green Bay Packers defense that's been a little bit, you know, a little sus over the last month or six weeks. Um, and man, to say they puked all over themselves is, I mean, just an, a big time understatement. I don't know. The broadcast team talked about how there was something going on maybe between C.D. Lamb, Dak Prescott. I wasn't really that convinced of that, to be honest with you. But certainly there was just something about this entire team that was off from a vibe standpoint. I'll ask you, Matt. I, it, could it just be simply that um, nerves got to this team? I don't know if I'd say it's nerves, and I'm with you that it's – like we don't have to make it a oh boy what's going on every time a quarterback and a wide receiver have a conversation you know yeah, on on right, the right, sideline right. like I mean sometimes they're just discussing like hey this guy and I think maybe Greg Olson even said that right like sometimes it's just hey uh, this is what I'm seeing from this coverage like you know what are like really kind of getting into it that way yeah but what I would say that you definitely felt there was um and I think the way that CD Lamb immediately was like all right what's like kind of what's going on here like I'm over hello like I'm over here you know kind of there was sort of a oh no here we go again um vibe around the Dallas Cowboys yeah. so I don't know if that's like um nerves but I think I I mean what's the 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 definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results and I think you could maybe feel th this is a different result for for Dallas right they didn't make it to San Francisco they didn't make it to the 49ers <laughs> game they got to get out before that uh, they got eliminated by the youngest team in the NFL the youngest team to ever make the playoffs since like oh 1982 or something God. this so, is one of the worst showings Matt um, that I think yeah. I have, I, I've ever seen because l here's the thing. From a personnel standpoint, Dallas is inarguably one of the five best teams in the NFL. And the way they played against the Green Bay Packers was horrific. I mean, from yeah. a defensive standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, it's easy to go and point the finger, I think, at the offense, right? And I'm not, mm -hmm. look, I'm not putting any stock in all the garbage time production they put on in the fourth oh, quarter. no, yeah. None, Nobody zero. Cares. Okay, so I don't look at the stat line, okay? Because the stat line looks great, right? I don't care about the stat line. They got blown out, all right? I don't care what the score says. They got blown out, okay? But from a defensive standpoint, I was, I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, Green Bay should not be running the ball with that much ease against this Dallas Cowboys defense because this Cowboys defense coming in uh, was really good, actually, against the run. So I, I was, again, shocked by how badly, how poorly they had game planned this uh, from a defensive standpoint. Matt, let's be real, man. Like, come on. It's the easiest thing to know that when a Matt, when, 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 when a, a LaFleur offense comes to town, you know they want to establish the run. Stop the run. Force this young offense to throw the football with their young quarterback and all these unproven wide receivers. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous that Dallas did not come in prepared to stop the run. That's what's really damning, I think, for Dan Quinn and, and really the whole team because it all comes from the top, right? Like, right. you don't get waxed like this in a playoff game without the accusations and the finger points that you were unprepared yep. and that's the thing is that you just said it perfectly it wasn't as if green bay like oh my god they unfurled some new wrinkles and new offenses like nope they just 
did what they've been doing all year, especially in the back half with Jordan Love cooking and all these young guys kind of coming together. I mean, like I, in my personal opinion, when all these guys are healthy and at their peak, like I think Romeo Dobbs is their fourth best receiver, and that guy had 140 yards like that, like I mean, that man. With and ease, I, yeah. I mean, he made some great. Hey, listen, he made some great. He made some great. Oh plays. yeah, Don't I think Romeo Dobbs is a pretty good player. I, I yeah. just think like all those like. Wicks, who I mean, his touchdown was awesome. Jaden Reed, yeah. I think, is their best receiver. He didn't even have a catch. Yeah, did nothing. <laughs> didn't need, didn't need to. <laughs> didn't, didn't need to do anything. <laughs> didn't need to do anything. I, I like. Not, yeah. I just think those guys are like those two, and then Watson, obviously, is super physically talented. He didn't do anything in this game either. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. just I think that's the great part about this Packers receiver core. Then we're gonna have this is probably isn't the time to do it. But man, like we're gonna spend all offseason like debating where do these guys like what's the rank and file for um, these receivers? I just think like potential wise, Dobbs probably is the fourth best one, but he's still very very good. That's what I'm saying. Crazy. Like they just have so much they can throw at you. I mean, Dallas definitely had their issues stopping the run down the down the stretch, right? Like Buffalo yeah. ran all over them, right? right. Um, but typically, it's been these like man gap you know defense like running games that have taken advantage of this team um typically you do see a little bit more like outside zone stuff from the aaron jones green bay packers especially but i mean this was just they looked at that weakness that dallas has had against stopping these like power run games up the gut and they just slammed aaron jones it's kind of almost nice that I mean, it's not nice when somebody gets hurt, but it's almost nice that Aaron Jones has not played for long stretches of the season because you could tell he's fresh. Like, he's like September Aaron Jones right now. He looks fresh. (laughs) He looks incredible. Um, At one point during the game, he was uh, his Wikipedia page said that he was the owner of the the Dallas Cowboys because he's dunked on them so hard. By the way, the the Cowboys have fewer wins in AT&T Stadium in the playoffs than the Green Bay Packers do. <laughs> That's right. Yikes. That's right. So, Yikes. Um, man, it, it's... Oh uh, I will say, look, James, you have given Matt LaFleur a lot of crap over the I years. Have. But I think you I think you need to officially <laughs> apologize to Matt LaFleur, man. He, he's been, in my opinion, he's okay. been on a heater all season long, really. Okay. Um, even when the results, like in the, the win-loss column, weren't there. And I think last night was really just um, the master class, like the cherry on top of what – oh, the cherry on top of what, in my opinion, has been a master class all season long. I've been really, really hard on LaFleur. Um, and after yesterday's game, I definitely have to eat the crow. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say, I got to stand on my take. Okay. Um, now, now listen, uh, the, the, the take may be put to bed for right now. I'm just saying. But, you know, I could always bring it back. I go, yeah, but for right now, we'll probably get blown out by the 49ers next weekend, you know, whatever, but I don't know. But for right now, no, but, but for right now, you're right. Like it was, it was a beautifully drawn up, um, game plan. And, and the fact that, you know, again, to me, it's that Dallas came in completely unprepared to stop the run. Um, you know, you gotta be able to do that against this LaFleur team. They didn't do that. And you know what they built and what LaFleur did building on top of that was beautiful you know i mean some of these some of these plays that he's drawn up oh his guys are just wide open man you know yeah. what i'm saying clearing the out Musgrave spaces touchdown beautiful beautiful stuff i'm cl- i'm closer to you right now in proximity uh than any cowboys <laughs> defender was uh, to luke musgrave on that Correct. touchdown i know and, and like in the in the wide open spaces that you know that that Romeo Dobbs was working with that um, that Dontavian Wicks was working with and listen Jordan Love my God 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy's got the, the, the tools, man. You know, and, and again, even when I was down on LaFleur, I said, hey, listen, the guy they've got back there in Jordan Love's got the goods, okay? But, man, he was absolutely dealing in that ball game. I mean, 16 to 21, so five incompletions in total. 272 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, a 157 passer rating. Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, Jordan Love was absolutely brilliant. And, by the way, some of these throws he was making, too. Let's be real, man. Under pressure, under duress, defenders coming down the pipe, and just him stepping in there and making these throws, a thing of beauty. It's hard not to contrast. Like I, we, we'll talk about this team more in full later, but like it's hard not to contrast what you know Tua did with the Dolphins. And just when, when something breaks down, when there is pressure around him and, and there are other guys that are really quality start I mean sometimes Jared Goff is this way although you I don't really want to point the finger at him right now after you know winning a game and that nails final throw like yeah. but sometimes when you when you get these guys like off platform stuff like that like the play is over it's DOA there is no counter yep. punch but I mean for Jordan Love who's just like somehow become the master of the fade away pass like is yeah he loves it it's, it's crazy like <laughs> It, it feels almost like kind of um, gimmicky, but it's not because he does it with like a real intent behind it, you know? Um, so I, I I just think like it's been a real breakout season for him. I mean, I agree. He's got to be like, I, I don't know. I can't think of 10 other quarterbacks I'd rather have going into next season than Jordan Love right now. And like these guys, that's what I it brings me back to LaFleur a lot. And I don't want to take away from the players, but it does bring me back mm -hmm. to LaFleur a lot that all these guys are so young. They're like so inexperienced. And I think they're like a more hubris driven coach would have. Um, I said this actually this morning. Imagine if Aaron Rodgers was on this team still and like mm -hmm. Dontavian Wicks, a guy who at this point is like <laughs> darn near uncoverable, especially around the goal line in man coverage. Like he's just running the crispiest routes of all times out there. You know, he's, he's just, he's cutting guys up, but at parts of the beginning of the season, like that guy would be in the wrong place all the time, like running routes at the wrong depth, you know, dropping passes at really inopportune time. Like, when like he would have been sent to the wall, you know, he would have been sent to like beyond beyond the wall by by Aaron Rodgers, like Game that's of Thrones style. Taking the that's black, like he would, yeah, he'd been out of there, man. I mean, yeah, no way, right? And like a lesser yeah. coach, a more hubris driven coach would have not had the patience to work through some of the kinks with a Don Taven Wicks or a Jordan Love because it hasn't been perfect wire to wire with Jordan Love, but or it's, even Bo Melton out of nowhere the last couple oh, yeah. of weeks. This guy's making plays too. Absolutely. Like just having all those guys and, and working them all in and like that's that's coaching. That's coaching yeah, for sure. But is. I mean that and, and it's development as well. And the long term development for Jordan Love has I think brought out just a guy that like I said, I can't imagine there's ten other quarterbacks that I'd rather have and I'm probably being conservative by saying ten. Like I could probably be really irresponsible with my Jordan Love takes right now, but he looks awesome. <laughs> he looks like one of the next yeah. like one of the guys right now. Well, I mean, given his age, given his salary and all that, I mean, like, give me six guys that you would rather have, you know? I mean, of, of course, the, the, the established crazy dudes, you know, like the Josh Allens, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Lamar Jacksons of the world, you know? But then, like, right. okay, uh, given his age and contract and all that kind of stuff, like, I don't know, would you rather have Dak Prescott next year or Jordan Love? I mean, that's, uh, a, that, that's yeah. an actual... That's an actual comp, a comp, I think, that we could start talking about here. You know, and listen, Dak's been great. Dak, Dak has been mm -hmm. freaking great. I'm just saying, take into consideration age and contract. 
A hundred percent. Although I, I do feel like they might have to give him a new contract in the off season, but the Cowboys <laughs> need to have themselves that conversation about Dak, right? Cause his cap, yeah. where his cap figure is going to be and like, exactly. we'll talk, we can, yeah, we can figure Cowboys out in a sec, but like, I'm with you because I think Dak, like that group of guys has like, we have beyond run up on the ceiling here with Dak Prescott. Like we're, we've, we've banged up on where, and that ceiling can be pretty good. I mean, the guy was, he led the NFL in touchdowns. He led the NFL Absolutely. in completions, Yes, but, but like that's, that's the ceiling and it's good. But I think that what love can bring to the table, what guys like Stroud can bring to the table. I mean, shoot, we haven't seen him play yet in the playoffs, but I mean, I'm even willing to say, like, what Purdy brings to the table is mm. a, a little bit more from a creation perspective, um, and that just is not there with a, with a guy like Dak. So, I, yeah, I mean, Jordan Love definitely age contract. Like, I think you're talking about him. Like, would you rather have him than Justin Herbert? Would you rather have him than mm. we, we keep we keep forgetting about like Joe Burrow in these conversations? But he's he's definitely still out there just because I I feel like every time I've even considered like the <laughs> CJ Stroud thing as well. I'm like, oh right, there's there's Joe Burrow out there, but like. Yeah, but we got to see him. We haven't seen Burrow. You know? We haven't seen him, and yeah. there's always injuries. But like, I'm I'm not even thinking about like. I mean, Jalen Hurts, who took a team to the Super Bowl last year. Like, yeah, I'd rather have Jordan Love. Like, I mean, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, hundred percent. Yeah, right. Like you, you Jordan Love, hundred percent. I th- I think so. I mean, it, if you're just putting the seasons. And I definitely think far better of Matt LaFleur as a play caller and play designer than whatever the hell's going on in Jacksonville right now. So I will say that. And <laughs> right, I right, mean, they've right, got right, like right, right. way, they've got like waves and waves of guys they can throw at you in green Bay, like explosive players. And you get to like the Zay, like, Oh no, Zay Jones is not out there for the Jags. What are we going to do? Right, like, right, 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 right. Totally. The, the situations do make it hard, but yeah. I just think there's no question that that ceiling that Jordan love has shown is, is spicier than Trevor Lawrence, but I'm, I'm hesitating a little bit. Like, and I, I would think I would still take Herbert and Burrow. Um, but again, that's like four same. or five guys. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Right. Exactly. That's why, that's why I'm saying like, there's probably six dudes where you're like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. But then, then we start getting into that conversation, you know? So I, I like you said, I think 10 is being hyper conservative, uh, given age and contract, man. So, um, okay. So let's flip it to the other side here. Um, uh, CD Lamb didn't really start getting going until I don't want to say till garbage time, but you know there were long lulls uh, between when CD Lamb really got going here. Ended up with 17 freaking targets, nine catches for 110. But again, it just kind of ignore the box score, man, because so late, much of it yeah. just can't. Yeah, it was just ridiculous at the end, right? So um, where does this team go? You know, I, I again I tweeted out there's absolutely zero percent chance Mike McCarthy's back next year. Um, and this, despite the fact that, again, we're talking about three consecutive seasons of 12 wins. That's impressive. That is good. That's hard to find a coach that can do that. But just from a personnel standpoint, this team is so talented, man. Like, so talented from a personnel standpoint. Um, I, I, you got to think. And again, too, Mike McCarthy, the, he's the offensive guy, right? He took over play calling. He wants to be the offensive guy. Uh, the offense absolutely was in the tank in the first, you know, probably quarter and a half, right? So uh, how much of that do we put on Mike McCarthy? Um, when you take a look at betting markets right now, Bill Belichick is the leader in the clubhouse. <laughs> Although I'll be honest with you, I don't see him going there, but but he is the leader in the clubhouse um, at minus 175. Guys like Bobby Slowick. Um, Mike Vrabel and Jim Harbaugh are two, three, four. They're really close seconds at plus five fifty to 
plus 650. Um, can I first, I'll, I'll ask you, Matt, but let me just first start off by saying, I don't see Bill taking this job because of the power structure. You're talking about a guy that was in New England for decades as the GM. He was in charge of personnel, right? And so he's kind of the, the chef, owner, cook. And then now you're telling him to go in there with a very clear power structure in the Joneses. And you're saying, okay, you got to take a step back and just be the coach and let the Joneses be the Joneses at the top. I just... I don't know, man. I don't see that happening. I don't see Bill seeing that as a very attractive job. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and um, they kept, and this was a story last week, is that um, Will McClay committed to the Cowboys, like as, a, and he's one of their high-ranking uh, president, vice president of player personnel for the Dallas Cowboys. Like he's a high-ranking official in that front office too. So you're right. There's a clear power structure, and like guys that have drafted really well of late too. So there's no reason um, to sit, like you said, this is a pretty damn pretty damn talented roster with a lot of guys that are up for big money extensions Trayvon Diggs a guy they gave a big money extension to didn't even play for most of the season so um you know I, I think that's a group that's already established my thing though with Bill um Bill like we're freaking buddies I mean my <laughs> thing with Bill Belichick <laughs> right? stupid. my thing my thing with Bill Belichick right. is that right. um where where right now is going to give him that like that level of autonomy and like that level of control. Atlanta. I mean, I think, yeah, maybe. I mean, people are surprised that Fontenot is even there. People, I mean, come on, you know, so his, his power, his, his hold over, I think uh, of at least player personnel is, uh, is tenuous at best. I, I agree with you. Um, Although I do think he's drafted some pretty good players. I yeah, totally I agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't 100% agree. It's just that, you know, it, it, because of it, it, because of the whole, you know, um, you know, coaching thing. It's just like, you know, yeah. his power there right now is 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 not is not that strong. But I agree with you. He's got uh he he's, it was I think notable. He's it was notable that they didn't have him. Like it was Arthur Blank and uh, Rich McKay, the team president, that were out there taking the questions about Arthur Smith and stuff, mm -hmm. which probably um, is the right thing to do. Unlike what the Titans did, where they're like, yeah. uh, I know Rand Carthen didn't have anything to do with firing Mike Vrabel, but let's send his ass out there to, to take all the heat for it. Although, he, <laughs> right. and he's just like, Yep, I didn't make that decision. I was the owner, and she's right. not there to take questions. So exactly. it is probably the right thing to do to for the owner and the team president to go out there, but. It is a little interesting that, like, all right, are we minimizing this guy to try to attract a Bill Belichick and then we don't get Bill? Well, all right, we'll keep Terry around and he can work with a new coach. I do see your yeah. point on that. And the other spot is obviously Carolina. Like, I think David Tepper would give him whatever he wants. But, exactly. man, if you're Bill Belichick, like, and he did at least say, um, and who knows how much he was, like, you know, angling with the, the media and, like, talking about new jobs and stuff like that. You know, when he said, like, I'd be willing to give up my GM powers, you know, and just focus on coaching, at least, like, kind of hinted to that in his final press conference with the um, before the news was announced that he was leaving right. the Patriots. If I'm Bill Belichick, I would definitely be, like, and I was a team that wanted Bill Belichick. I would want to be a team like the Dallas Cowboys that, look, I know Dak you know, it has to wear a lot of the blame for what happened yesterday because he's the quarterback and he turned the yep. ball over and like, that's the sport, but he is an established starter, um, an established good starting quarterback. Like that is a lot more attractive to me. Uh, if I'm bill Belichick, than like 
did we not just see what happened in the post Tom Brady era with him, like dealing with full, you know, having a heavy hand in the offense? Like that would make me nervous if I was Atlanta or Carolina. Carolina yeah. can't afford to be nervous about that. They they just got to get somebody to take the damn job. But right. I don't know that 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 is to me why I think Belichick makes sense with with the Cowboys. Um, I know if I was a Cowboys fan, fan I would be um, I would be fine if they went with Belichick. Although I think Vrabel is really interesting there. Um, he would probably be my my favorite pick. That would be mine too. I think Vrabel makes a lot of sense. Veteran team, you know, a guy that's uh, tough as nails, man. And I think I think you need that kind of guy. I think you need a guy to come in and just be tough as nails. Whether we're talking about Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel, right? Uh, you know, these guys are going to be tough as nails. Listen, nothing against Mike McCarthy, or maybe this is I, I don't know. Whatever, How, take it however you're going to take I mean, it. it but I think I think Mike McCarthy is of the. I don't want to say he's soft, you know, but he's not. You know, he's not chewing nails for breakfast like these guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not his persona, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine a... um, I mean, there's definitely been struggles in New England, and there's been struggles in Tennessee lately, but that's because those rosters have been terrible. It hasn't been because... I mean, even, like, talking to players that have played the Patriots or even played the Titans the last couple of years, right. they're like, yeah, this is still tough, a tough defense to prepare for like a really difficult defense Absolutely. To, to kind of, to figure out. And they play really sound assignment football, oh. stuff like that. <clears throat> I mean, can you imagine Bill Belichick of Vrabel taking over this, uh, this defensive roster? Especially <laughs> Belichick, oh man. God. I mean, especially Golly. Belichick. Ooh. You want to know why you want to know why I think it's really tempting actually, because yeah. One of my big takeaways watching whenever the Cowboys have these like because it's a you're right it's a really talented defense that has been at times seems like it's right there knocking on the door of like the elite group of defenses but they can't quite break in because they have games like this where they really mm-hmm. are embarrassed and man I I know that some of the nerds have tried to make um, the linebackers the running backs of the defense like let's just well, we can skimp on that position. But yeah. dude, when I see the Cowboys even struggle like this, I think like linebackers really matter, man. Like they've got these tiny guys back there, you know, trying to fit the run doesn't work out. Not a coincidence to me, at least, that like the 49ers, one of the best defenses in the league, great linebackers. Yeah. Uh, Ravens, one of the best defenses in the league, great linebackers. linebackers Shoot, yep. even, even Chicago, which had an incredible great defensive point. turnaround this year, they signed Tremaine Edmonds. And like I, I yep. was definitely one of the ones that kind of like, you know, spend all that money on Tremaine Edmonds when you just traded Roquan Smith away. But then you kind of, in that cover two defense, you know, and seeing Tremaine Edmonds like cover the whole field and like run yeah, the right, deep right, state, like right, right. you see the vision. So that is definitely one thing. Like, I mean, Belichick has had great linebacker play at times throughout the course of his career. I mean, um, I think always, see, that, <clears throat> always, you, that you, seems you like always a, see that. I mean, and he coaches them up, you know, it's like, and I, the other thing too, it's like, how well does this guy coach up cornerbacks? You know, oh, I mean, yeah. cornerbacks leave his system and are, are just, just guys i mean they're total jags out anywhere other than new england then they come to new or you know once they're in new england the cornerback play is outstanding you know so um yeah man it it is very interesting to think about bill belichick coaching up that defense and then having the joneses or or the player personnel people give them uh give bill the, the right pieces to work with because we said this in our last podcast right bill the gm let down bill the coach Right. That's what happened in New England. That's why he's not coaching there, is that he didn't have a proper GM structure uh, in place. Okay, so um, I will just – did you see RG3 tweet this one out uh, about Deion Sanders going to, to – No, Dallas? I didn't. <laughs> that, first of all, I, like, you know, I get it. You know, it's like maybe he's tongue-in-cheek. Maybe it's half-joking, but 
I don't come on. I mean, it can't be worse than what we got with Mike McCarthy right now. I'm just saying, like, if he gets his right, the right personnel guys around him, let's go. Deion Sanders, let's go in Dallas. A lot of connective tissue there. All right, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I'm only half joking. I'm only half joking because I, yeah. I would, as an interested party, I would, oh my God, I would love to see that. Matt, I would, I would love ju- just the spectacle of it. Deion Sanders in Dallas. I'd love to see it. Uh, it would be a spectacle. It would also signal to me that the Cowboys are not really serious um, <laughs> about like actually doing what they need to do to get over the hump here. Yeah, right. Um, and I, I would just also say like I talked to Dion at last year's Super Bowl. I mean, Coach Prime. Excuse me. I talked to Coach yes. Prime at yes, last, yes, last yes. year's Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I think that guy knows. He's he's he's. He can't be coaching the NFL, man. I, I just don't think I don't think that game's for him based no, on. Oh yeah, so, yeah, I know. yeah. I, I, think, I think he's, he's more of a rah rah guy, you know. Yeah, and, and like I mean, his stuff is great in college, and even you know there are some people listening to this are sure sure ready to point out like the you know record of Colorado Buffaloes. I'm, and I'm talking on my ass about college football. I don't know what I'm talking about with with this stuff, but I will say I think that Dion's a better coach. Prime is a better fit uh, for the college game than the pro game. Uh, agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, okay, so the Dolphins, their offense uh, literally oh. and figuratively froze up there in Kansas City. Tua twenty of thirty nine. Uh, 199 touchdown interception. The interception was so bad. Um, bro, can, am I allowed to say this? Am I am I allowed to say the Tua was bad? Uh, did he? Am I allowed to say that or no? Or or are the Tua bros gonna come from my head? Because my God, Tua was straight up bad. I mean, when we talk about Dak, we're like, yeah, he he was bad for him, right? Like Dak mm-hmm. didn't play up to his particular standards, right? Tua was just straight up bad, like not bad for him. No, he was just a straight up bad quarterback uh, in this game. He couldn't find guys. He's overthrown dudes, underthrown dudes. His accuracy was all over the place. Zero creation under pressure. Um, Tua just straight up was bad. Um, and, and there's really no way of getting around it in this ball game. And again, I don't know how much the weather played into, into, into the factor. Uh, we're talking about a guy that's what, from Hawaii? Played at Alabama, then played at Miami. Not not a lot of cold weather in these spots where he's playing, you know? So I get it. Minus 27 degrees. Who the hell's going to play well? But Tua definitely, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely did not play well in this game. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, the weather definitely had something to do with it, but guess what happens in December and January when the playoffs happen? It gets cold. 
It, get, okay. it does get cold. It's good, it does get cold. cold, yes. As, as we're taping this, they're still trying to shovel snow out of the damn Bills stadium so that they can right. <laughs> play that game there, right? right. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens at this time of the year. It gets cold. The weather's not ideal. Conditions aren't ideal. And that's sort of my big thing with Tua. And, I, man, I really like Tua. I think he's an easy guy to root for. Sure. Um, another player that I've had multiple wonderful conversations with over, over the years. I think he's just, again, easy, easy dude to root for. I just think he's a guy that when the conditions, and I'm not even just talking about weather, I'm talking about on field, when the conditions get bad, when there's like, you know, a slight hiccup in the plan, things go a little bit off of the picture of what it should be. I just think he's not good enough to get them where they need to go. Um, and, and I think that is really unfortunate because when he is on time, when he's in rhythm, when everything is firing exactly like it's drawn up, mm-hmm. I, I, he can be really good. I mean, he could be one of the best and most productive quarterbacks in the NFL. But the problem is, in the NFL, things don't always go that way, man. Like, there are going to be moments when you have offensive line injuries and then you need to play uh, on a sec- in a second reaction uh, sort of situation. And, and I don't think Tua's good in those second reaction situations. Um, he's not athletic at all. Like, really, he's not a, really a plus athlete in the pocket at all. Like, when's right. the last time you've seen him, you know, do anything close to, like, the face? away stuff that Jordan Love is doing or like duck out under pressure and reset his right. platform and fire it downfield like a CJ Stroud does like that's just not in Tua's arsenal and you can win with guys like that I mean the Dolphins have won with Tua like that over the course of the last two years it's just like again when things start to fall apart when you get in um, I mean perfect example is Patrick Holmes on the other side of the field like they right. came out in that game and they're throwing the ball and Andy Reid even said like yeah we we thought that they wouldn't be they wouldn't be expecting that because of the conditions but we have a quarterback that we believe can do that mm-hmm. and I think it's not so transparently it's like on the other side they don't um, so <laughs> like a lot of things going on there with Tua but I just yeah. I worry that we're running into like it's ironic actually that the Jared Goff Rams stuff played out the very next day because I kind of feel like we're running into the same situation here with Mike. The McDaniel Jared Goff ceiling is the Jared Goff ceiling. So my the the problem with Tua. So when we talk about Derek Klassen's work uh, on receptionperception dot com, if you take a look at his twenty twenty two numbers, okay, and I, I get it, it's twenty twenty two. That's all right. Tua posted the fifth lowest success rate against pressure. Right, fifth lowest. Other guys yeah. in this category are Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, surprisingly, Lamar Jackson, uh, and Jalen Hurts was number six, okay, under pressure success rate. Now, when you talk about what else do you bring to the table, obviously, guys like Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, what else do they bring to the table? Oh, that's right, they can run the ball. Right. Mm -hmm. So under pressure, it's like, all right, you're really playing with fire here. Maybe throwing the football under pressure. These guys aren't the best. But man, you put up you do apply that pressure on them and they get out the pocket and scoot. They're hurting you bad. Right. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I think, obviously on the backside of his career and, you know, uh, you know, under pressure. I don't know, whatever, whatever these numbers mean. He wasn't great there. Okay, Jared Goff. That's this is an interesting case that you bring up. What's the ceiling here with Jared Goff? What's the ceiling here with Tua Tunga-Vailoa? And I would also argue that Jared Goff has a significantly, I don't even know if, maybe significantly is not the right, but noticeably stronger arm than Tua Tunga-Vailoa, right? So uh, again, if we're trying to say, okay, what do we bring it to the table here? Tua 
doesn't have a great arm strength, is also not great under pressure. Uh, to me, I would peg him just a, a touch under Jared Goff uh, in regards to what the ceiling looks like. And if we're kind of sort of saying Jared Goff's not the guy, like not one of the top, I don't know, what, 14, 13, 14 quarterbacks in the NFL? He's he's not in the top 15 conversation. Where does that put mm, Tua? Yeah. At that point, you know, I, I think that's where we start again, running into that conversation of what is the ceiling with a guy like this and what do you do with him once his rookie contract is up and they start really got to start paying this guy some serious money. I think golf is somewhere in the top 14 of, of quarterbacks. Um, I agree I with he's that. Prob- yeah, he's probably like 11, 12 ish. I'd have to sit down and really think about it, um, but. I think, I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd put him outside your top 12. And listen, this is coming from the biggest golf homer in the world. You know, you know me. Okay, I'm yeah. going to be a golf supporter, but he's going to be outside the top 12. Whatever. I mean, maybe we can sit down and do it, but I, I, either way, he's some, somewhere in that range. I mean, but what yes. does that put, where does that put two at? Because I'm with you that I think like right now, and this is worth remembering too, Jared Goff is what? He's 20, 29? I mean, he's mm-hmm. been in the league since yep. 2016, right? I mean, he's been in the league a lot longer than Tua has. He has seen a lot more than Tua has. He's got a longer... Um, catalog and a longer reference page of just what he's seen and what defensive coordinators have done against him and we have a lot of the same questions about Jared Goff right now right I mean for sure even though he just and I'm thrilled that Jared Goff had the moment he had last night and it was electric and it was awesome and like I love that he was able to beat the coach that I think probably even himself regrets about how hard he talked. Not that he regretted the move, because I think he won the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, so exactly. Regret that, but right, I think right, he right. probably. I mean, he's even kind of intimated this to, in the public, Sean McVay, like how probably regrets how hard and how unceremoniously he dumped Jared Goff. Yeah. Um. You know, but at this point, like where, like we have some of these same questions with Jared Goff, whether it's. What can he do under pressure? Like, how is he on second reaction throws? Like, what's going to happen to him when Ben Johnson leaves? You know, and it's like we have a lot of these same questions, but I think Goff is better right now just because he's more experienced. He's older. Like, he's seen a lot more. He's had a chance to develop over multiple years into the player that he is now. And I still think that's a guy that we're talking about. Is he top 14? Is he top 12? Like, he's good, but how good is he? I feel like Tua probably could have a chance to um, get to that point of – like he is where Goff is right now in his career if he continues to develop and he sees more and he's just but at the same time though like it's really hard to get away from the the lack of um physical tools that you brought up just because like he can Goff can at least throw some piss missiles down the field you know he can at least uncork some heaters outside the numbers you know and like I mean, just Tua can't do that like last uh, on Saturday uh, Steve Spagnuolo who's one of I think one of the most like it's hard to be underrated in the NFL because everybody talks about everybody, but like Steve Spagnuolo, <laughs> my pretty damn underrated defensive coordinator. We talk about uh-huh. him, but like Spags is so good. Um, just changing the picture constantly, post snap, you know, rotating safeties around, like playing with some solid fronts up there. Like that defense was great, and it just when Tua's confused post snap, like it's just it's tough because then he can't like okay, let me rip it outside the numbers. If you could just take away the middle of the field, like you can stop this Dolphins offense. So it's a tough question and. Um, I don't know that, like, I think they, I don't know about you. My, my thought is they probably start to another year, but they don't give him a contract extension. Mm. They let him run into the final year of his deal and just like, Hey, let's see what happens. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to see what, if that's the, the approach they take. Cause generally first round quarterbacks 
teams don't generally do that. You know, they they might give them a three year deal or something, some kind of guaranteed contract money. I, I'd be surprised. I think that is the way to go. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that is the way to go, but we just generally don't see that because GMs are so scared of what happened. It's the Kirk Cousins effect, right? Washington tried that, and then they ended up having to franchise him, what, three times in a row, and they just ended up paying out the nose, right, yeah. for Kirk Cousins. Um, so I don't know. I, I think teams are a little bit scared that they're going to overpay. Um, they'd rather pay like 10% too much than 50% too much for the guy. You know what I'm saying? At, at yeah. the most expensive position in football, you know? So I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious to see. Uh, on the flip side, Kansas City, they just did enough, I think, to win this ball game. Obviously, they want it kind of going away, but I, I don't feel like they showed any kind of... Uh, look, the, the conditions were adverse, to say the least. I wasn't impressed if that makes any sense, I know they, they won going away, but I, it's not like I was blown away by like, oh my God, here's Kansas City. They're back, baby. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? The, it was a very workmanlike win for them, I think, against Miami. Uh, I agree for sure. I, I think I expected them to beat the Dolphins. Like, you know, I expected them to beat, beat the Dolphins kind of going away because my, beyond all the stuff we just talked about with two in the offense, like that yeah. defense is so beat up that I don't think that they were, you know, ready to pose the threat that they needed to pose in order to beat Patrick Mahomes in his own building in those conditions. But I agree with you. I come out of this game feeling the exact same way about the chiefs, which is that, yeah, they can beat Miami in the first round of the playoffs, but I still don't know if they have enough to make a super bowl run. Now, I mean, the one thing you would say is that like, it's not that many games left, right? <laughs> they only have to win two more and then, Oh boy, they're, they're back in the super bowl, you know? And, um, and, and, and by the way, tell me what team in the AFC scares you right now. Right. Right? There, there's no monster lurking. Baltimore's a really, really good team, and and I'm sure they're the toughest team left, but it's like, I I mean, talk, give me Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and all that ex, all that experience, man. Like, I'll take that in a, in a shootout fight against Baltimore 100%. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think the Ravens are a much better team right now, but totally. that's, that's it, though. I mean, we'll, we don't even know who's going to win right now as we're taping this between Buffalo and Pittsburgh, but even let's say it's Buffalo who I think we would agree is the more dangerous team of the two. Like they're not so like Buffalo is a team that if we're ta again, you're listening to this right now, you know, the result of the game um, listener. Like if you were sitting there like from the future telling me, yeah, they lost that game against the Steelers. I would be like 0% surprised because exactly. that's what the bills are 0%. Like, if I'm in Las Vegas a few months from now and like the Bills are the team there and I'm, you know, me and my good pal Stefan Diggs are like, hey, you finally made it, man. I'd be zero surprised by that. Okay. Exactly. Because like that's exactly. the variance of that team. I do think Kansas City, like, it's great that they've got Rasheed Rice like perfectly nailed from a role perspective. Um, just can't say enough about how crazy of a turnaround from a simple role perspective that's been for him. You know, I posted the route charts on Twitter uh, during that game. Like, just what he was doing in college is not what he's doing at all in the NFL. And he finally, I think, looks completely comfortable doing totally. this role. Yes. Of course, now everybody wants him to do more. I'm like, well, he's mastered this. Like, let's let's just right. let's just keep him in this role, okay? Like, one step at a time here, you you greedy dynasty folks. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll get him. Well, maybe we'll get that A dot up at some point. But okay. right now, he's right, comfortable right, right, doing right. this. And, like, we yeah, should yeah, let yeah. him just be comfortable and good doing this. Right. Um, 
but at the same time, they don't have anybody else to do that stuff that, that they do need in the receiver room. It's not like anyone else had a breakout performance in the receiver room. You know, they still had drops. Travis yep. Kelsey dropping Bad passes. Drop. Juwan Taylor holding penalties, negating a Rasheed Rice touchdown. Um, you know, they're, they're, we've got to stop with the goofy, tricky plays on in short yardage only to be followed by Pat Mahomes bailing them out on a fourth down scramble. Like, it was a lot of the same old um, 2023 Chiefs BS in this win. Um, so, Kansas City Dolphins, all right, we took some, not a ton of takeaways out of that game. I was honestly very surprised by what we saw in this Houston-Cleveland game. Cleveland came in great defense, by the way, by the numbers. C.J. Stroud really struggles against man coverage. What does Cleveland like to do? They run the fifth highest man coverage rate in the NFL. I was thinking this is going to be a very close, low-scoring game. Not to be the case, Stroud absolutely put on a clinic in that first half, 16 of 21, 274, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Stroud looked awesome. Looked awesome. Um, You know, yeah, there were a lot of, man, there were a lot of like matchups kind of in the Browns' favor going into Mm -hmm. that game. On the other side, it was Joe Flacco on play action versus the worst play action defense in the NFL. There's a lot that would have pointed you towards the Browns. And and to be clear, I picked the Browns, you know, minus three uh, on, on my Yahoo show. Like I picked mm-hmm. the under as well. Uh, I was wrong about both um, because <laughs> right. sometimes it's like everything points you one way. And this is what we're talking about. The difference between like a Tua, right. And, and like yep. a CJ Stroud and these, these, these type of guys, and everything can be pointing you towards one team, but then the other team has CJ Stroud. They have one of they got the, the, the guys. Like, yeah. And that's all that matters. And like that was all that mattered um, on Saturday. And yeah, I, w- I also, like I said, I was parroting the uh, CJ Stroud versus man coverage stats as, as much as the next uh, football, smart football analyst, just as you just did. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason there is like, well, he doesn't have a lot of guys with Tank Dell out to beat man coverage, right? Correct. I mean, Noah Brown's been banged up. Robert Woods is, you know, Robert Woods at this phase of his career. Like, John Mechie hasn't fully caught on. You know, Dalton Schultz is a guy that can be schemed open, but he's not like a man coverage beater. But he does have one. He does he's have one, one receiver that can beat man coverage. <laughs> and that, yeah, that is Nico Collins, number 12, yes, down yes, in Houston, yes, baby. Yes. And my God, Nico Collins, like, I mean, he is just broken out to such an absurd degree. And, and you know, I've always had a weird affinity for, for Nico Collins. You as sure someone, have. As someone once said. <laughs> That's right. That's a weird That's affinity. Correct. But, man, he's outkicked any expectations coming into yeah. this year with the way he's played. He's been unbelievable, even if that even if that talent has, already been there, has always been there. But that was going to be the key thing in this game was, yeah, he, Stroud has struggled to throw against man coverage because he hasn't always had consistent man coverage beaters. But he has one, and as long as that one was going to show up, like he could beat that man coverage, and that's what happened. Uh, Nico Collins, seven targets, six grabs, 96 yards, and a touchdown. That's hyper-efficient. Um, I thought what was really not- noticeable and notable is the fact that no other pass catcher saw more than three targets. Right, so we're talking about a guy. Uh, Twenty-one attempts for C.J. Stroud. One third of them went to Nico Collins. Right, so um, that chemistry, that budding chemistry, is really developing. Um, really excited to see where that goes. I can't. It's almost as if they've been working together for years, Matt. When you yeah. watch these guys play, it's like it's. I mean, it's peanut butter and jelly. It's hot sauce and fried chicken, man. It, it just. What, what Nico Collins does well, 
works perfectly with what CJ Stroud does well. And I can't believe that how many games is this now between the two of them? Like 10? Right, yeah, because Stroud has missed time and Collins has missed time. Um, but yeah, it's got it's probably a little bit more than 10. Yeah, it's not right, a right, full, right. It's not a full 17. It's 18. not a full season. It's not it's not even a full season of work between these two gentlemen. So I'm impressed, man. I'm blown away um, by the chemistry between Stroud. What is this going to look like in year number two, man? Like, I mean, you talk about um, outkicking expectations. Where does – I mean, we don't talk about fantasy a lot on the show, but I'm just saying, where does Nico Collins go in fantasy next oh year? God, yeah. You know, <laughs> this guy was a freaking draft afterthought. Waiver wire pickup, man. Now now you tell me this guy's going to be, what, a second rounder, third rounder? Insane. Um, okay, flipping to the other side, Matt. Joe Flacco basically remembered. Oh, I just want to stick one yeah, point just on the on the Houston Texans. Actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Bobby Slowick deserves a ton of credit from this mm-hmm. one, um, the play caller in, in Houston. I was saying coming into this game that I thought he was like maybe one year away. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, he could <laughs> he could still say say in Houston even if like teams want some of these teams want to give him a job, he could do what Ben Johnson did last year and be like, you know, what, I right. think I'm just going to bet that we could run this back one more year. Yeah. Um, and and because he's got CJ Stroud, I think it's a great bet. I'm not saying he's 100%. going to take a head coaching job in this cycle, but I was saying coming into it like he might be a year away, um, just because there's been some issues, but especially from a run pass ratio standpoint the one nit you could really pick with this Texans offense is my god like I know you're a Shanahan offense and and all the benefits of the Shanahan offense come with it which is pretty cool that we're seeing that offense being run by friggin CJ Stroud right not like man this offense is real efficient with Jimmy Garoppolo it's like well yeah now stick CJ Stroud in there and tell me what happens okay (laughs) um but Slowick had been pretty rigid with the early down runs like especially on first down in the first half on first down, the Texans ran the ball just six times. Interesting. That was a nice little, like, okay, let me push this to the next level here from Bobby right. Sloak. And I think you fully saw the full expression uh, of the of the Texans offense and what it can be. And I think that was a hell of a resume patter from patter from uh, old PFF Bobby there, um, Bobby <laughs> Slowick, uh, calling plays for the Houston PFF Texans. So we'll Bobby. see. He may, he may well end up a head coach in the cycle simply because of that game. Listen, um, uh, I, I'm, I want to slow the roll a little bit on Slowick because I I'm, think it's fair. Because one of the, one of one of my concerns is for these young guys uh, that we don't have a lot of tape on is one, defenses as we know adjust. Okay, um, and it's the truly great offensive guys that are like you can adjust all you want. We're still going to get ours right. <laughs> Um, we don't quite know that yet with Slowick. And then the other thing, too, it's like there is a danger with a young, super young, unproven coordinator working with a generational talent at quarterback. I think there's a danger there to basically give the coordinator a little bit too much credit. Now, sometimes it's not true, but sometimes it's definitely true. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit cautious. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more cautious, I think, um, than all the PFF bros out there on Slowick. I know there's a lot of really smart football people um, that love Slowick. I'm just, I'm, I am, you know, again, my role on this show, I'm, I'm just a little bit more hesitant uh, uh, to kind of pair this you know young guy with a generational quarterback and and saying oh well Slokes doing a great job I'm just not a hundred percent sure yet that's all I'm not saying it's not there I'm just I'm just not sure that's all 
No, that's totally fair. And by the way, um, we can call C.J. Stroud a generational quarterback right now, but nobody was saying that in, during the draft cycle. Like, that's the last thing I'll just say about C.J. Stroud here. Like, it's a good point. Nobody was saying this that C.J. Stroud was going to be generational, right? Like, it's a great point. Like, that, that's why that phrase, like, for guys that we haven't seen play, it's just so stupid. Um, because <laughs> uh-huh. we don't, you know, we don't know. Like I'm almost kind of like retroactively like, damn Ryan day. Why didn't you win more with CJ Stroud? Right. And, and he was super great and productive and um, unlocked a lot of receivers that were also really good. Like that's another thing too. God, when we get to the draft cycle, can we just like, like isolate players and just talk about them in, in their own, of course, not. in their own lenses. No, like, why not. does it have to be like, huh, man, <laughs> you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were really good. That must mean that CJ Stroud's not that good because those guys are really good. It's, yeah. and it's, I mean, we're kind of doing it. People are doing it in the NFL right now. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, Nico Collins was nobody until, uh, you know, until CJ Stroud showed up. Like, well, he had nobody throwing him the ball. Now he right. has, um, it's more than somebody he's got, that freaking guy throwing him the ball, but he could right. still have been this good at any other point. Like when we when we're talking about draft quarterbacks, let's go ahead and shoot generational prospect to the moon because we have <laughs> no idea. Number one and number two, like okay. it's okay for both things to be true. The receiver can be good and the quarterback can be good. And honestly, it all just really matters. Like if they go to the, if they go to a good spot, you know. Listen. Because yeah. I hear what you are saying, Matt Harmon. I will tell you straight away. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not getting rid of generational. Okay. When I saw Jamar Chase, I'm like, Yo, this guy's generational. <laughs> right. I mean, there are certain guys where you're like, No, this is that guy. This is that guy. So no, I hear what you're saying, but no, I will not get rid of generational out of my vocabulary because. For one, I don't I don't throw it out that lightly. Okay, you know me. I'm not going to throw it out that lightly. I I straight up said Jamar Chase is a future Hall of Famer. You did, uh, yeah. Before he ever played a snap, not not one snap. And I'm like, this guy is going to be a Hall of Famer. And and so no, I so no, no, Matt, I will not <laughs> get rid of generational out of my draft lexicon. I will Fine. not do that. <laughs> Fine, you don't have to. But the okay, greater uh, draft universe. Like I don't need a new generational prospect at quarterback every three every year freaking year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, right. yeah, it doesn't right. happen every year, but like every yeah. three years. You're right. Now we're Caleb Williams was supposed to be the new generational prospect, and now he's like not again. I, what I I'm losing track here. Okay. <laughs> good point. Uh, good point. Okay. Uh, very quickly, uh, as we're running a little bit long talking about these playoff games, and why why would we not be running long talking about these playoff games? Of course. Uh, okay. What do you do with Joe Flacco, man? Honestly, yeah. I know he absolutely threw up all over himself here in this playoff game, but coming into the game, he played really, really well for a very small stretch of a period uh, in the NFL season. So, if you're Cleveland, what do you do with Joe Flacco? Can I throw something out there? Because everyone's going to say, oh, well, they're locked into Deshaun Watson's contract. Deshaun Watson's contract at this point, I think, is actually quite movable. Uh, In that, there's not that many years left. um, And a team that does trade for him can extend him. And I know you're thinking like, oh, my God, why would you extend um, you know, uh, why would you extend Deshaun Watson? Well, it's to alleviate his cap figure. Right. So to alleviate the cap figure, you could extend him for a couple of years. I actually think that his contract at this point now is actually tradable. Um, 
And, and if Cleveland wanted to start over at that position and and give Flacco a little bit of a bridge contract, I could see that being at least a possibility if you had a creative GM. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in a hypothetical world, the contract is tradable. Who on actual planet Earth is <laughs> trading for that? <laughs> That's a good point. That is such a good. I, golly, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just. Uh, maybe I'm just working through, man. With with what what we had come to expect, man. I don't know. Is it a change of scenery? Would that help them? I don't know. No, no, no. It won't. Honestly, and and I have a lot of thoughts on this. And um, one, I think that the reality of what's going to happen here. To me, I said this on my other podcast. I said this on on the Yahoo. I wrote it in, on my article in Yahoo as well. Like. To me, the end of the like what we saw in wild card round was the end of a summertime romance between like Joe Flacco and the <laughs> you all you everybody's had one uh-huh. right everybody's been in that position where it's like in the moment you're like man wh- this is so good why can't this last forever but you know in the back of your mind like this isn't gonna last forever at some point the end of summer is gonna come they're gonna close down the cabana bar the beaches are gonna empty out and we got to go back to school or you know whatever like that was the that was just it was a great run and like if you didn't love these two finding each other, Joe Flacco, yeah, yeah. Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski. You didn't love that. I don't think you love the sport, man. It was awesome. Exactly it was electric. Right. It was, it yeah. was great, but it was going to come to a, like an end here. And then now we're here and fall has arrived for the Cleveland Browns. And now it's back to real life and real life for them is, is looking in the mirror and being like, why did Joe Flacco who wasn't perfect, Right, I mean, I mean, he no, was no, gonna no, no, he no. was gonna put the ball in harm's God. way, and he, he did it a lot. And he on, did, yeah, on, exactly, yeah. a lot of turnovers. It wasn't perfect, but he ran that offense with those talented players better than any quarterback by a lot who's played for the Browns the last two seasons. Obviously, right. that includes Deshaun Watson, and they got to find 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 out why that is the case. And I mean, I think I know why that is the case because I just think Watson's lost it, man. Like by the time we get yeah, to next season, it's not me there. F- Dude, it's going to be four years since he's played at a really high level. That's a long time. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. And going to 2024, he's going to be 29 years old. Um, I'm just looking at this now. These, By the way, these cap figures, like you've never seen cap figures like this, dude. It's a, he's, got a, he's got a, I mean, he's got a cap hit of 63, 64 million. That's his cap hit for next year. He's got a dead cap of 200 million. 200 million dead cap next year this according to spo track that's you've never seen numbers like this so the funny thing is the browns actually do either have to restructure him give him an extension restructure him or trade him i don't know i'm just trying to figure out like what the hell do they do with flacco because honestly flacco has earned himself a chunky you know backup quarterback contract you know whatever that means whether it's a three-year 60 Something like that, you know. Uh, I don't think he goes full Geno here, but like you know, a three years, a, a two year forty. He's earned himself a, a a very chunky backup quarterback uh, figure, and obviously that's not something that Cleveland can do while also rostering Deshaun Watson. And I wonder if that's what Flacco, like, what does he want? You know, I mean, he really, really, as much as like I said, I and everybody else that I think loves the sport did and should have enjoyed the Browns Joe Flacco run. 
Like he loved it too. You could tell he loved oh. playing with that group of guys. He yeah. called it a special group of guys. You know, it was really something. Like it was a, just a great moment in time, like a great summertime romance. Like I said, <laughs> but um, right, I, I just I don't know what he wants. Like, does he want to come back and be a backup somewhere? You know, after kind of proving that he can still play as a starter to a certain degree. I you know I don't know. I, I just like I just think financially it doesn't work in Cleveland, and plus like you know that the moment now that Deshaun Watson has a bad game, if Joe Flacco's on the roster, like everybody's going to be clamoring for, for, for Joe Flacco, you know, as they, as they probably should, because like I said, yeah. that was, he ran the offense way better than Watson ever has. Like, and I don't know what, I don't know what Browns fans feel about Deshaun Watson, but like, if you're just honest with yourself about the results on the field, he has so, so far to go just to be like, above league average yeah. based on oh, what he's put sure. out there. And and like also I I would say again be honest with yourself about like about how like wh- how does that happen? Like how does he get there? Like you yeah, said what's he's the 29 road? years he's 29 years old coming into this year. It's been 4 years since he's been in his prime. Think about the discourse we've had about Calvin Ridley the last 2 years and mm. um just all that's gone into that. Like I, I just think there's a zero percent chance he's going to be the player he was in Houston, just because of the the layoff. But so let's say he gets to league average quarterback player, slightly above league average quarterback play. Like, what does that give you? Like, yeah, I, I, it's unfortunate because it was such a great run with Flacco, but now I feel like Cleveland is heading into like a a tough off season. Yeah, very tough off season. Anyways, best game on the slate though was L.A. versus Detroit. Um, I thought Jared Goff actually played pretty good game, 22 of 27. I'm underselling it, man. Like in that first half, he was, he was awesome, dude. Um, he was automatic. He was great. Uh, 277 yards, touchdown interception, 121 passer rating. And then on the other side, man, Matt Stafford played a hell of a game too. 25, 30 of 36, 367, two touchdowns, 120 passer rating, uh, 69% completion rate. 81% 81% completion rate for Jared Goff, man. But um, great, great games uh, from both of these quarterbacks. And it was to be expected as well, given the struggles in the secondary for both teams, Matt. But, um, you know, we're a wide receiver show a little bit here. And Puka Nakua, my God, 10 <laughs> targets, 9 grabs, 181, and a touchdown. That 181 is an all-time NFL rookie record. What the hell do we have here uh, in this guy, Puka? How? What's the ceiling for this dude? I, I think I, we tried to talk about that when he first started breaking out. Now that we've got a full season under our books, what is the ceiling for Puka Nakua? I mean, superstar. Like, he's a superstar right now, you know? Um, he's been one of the best receivers in the league this year. And, by the way, like, I think the Rams are the only team that lost this weekend that can leave with their head with their head held high like that lost on Saturday or Sunday for sure Matt no one zero people expected them to make the playoffs none zero right and that's the thing even if they had lost by 14 points to the Lions or something like that which they didn't they took it to the end and it was a great back and forth contest I would say they could probably still leave with their head held high because like everything is in front of the Rams now at this point. I know Stafford's old and we yeah. can have a conversation about Cooper cup and where he's at at this point. Yep. But other than that, mm-hmm. like this is a really young roster. Like McVay talked about it after the game. One of my favorite quotes of the entire season um, was Sean McVay saying like, I love this group. They helped me find my way. 
um, <laughs> which is so true just with the journey he's been on the last 24 months right. and really since they won the Super Bowl, right? Like, it's just been something for McVay trying to figure out, like, why do I love doing this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, I think coaching these young guys up really brought him that. And, I mean, that was really just the thing with Puka. You could see it from week one. He was such a perfect fit with this team. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't know how to put, like, a ceiling on Puka Nakua because, like, tell me what he's bad at. Like, he doesn't necessarily have, I mean, the best, like, long speed. But, like, yeah. who cares? I mean, like, Amon Ross St. Brown doesn't have the best long speed, you know? Like, I mean, there's plenty of receivers in the NFL that don't have the best, like, long speed. But um, I, I don't think there's another receiver that's playing like Puka right now, either from a style perspective, with just how, like, tough and rugged he is. Jeez, yeah. There's nobody. I mean, I, there are other tough receivers in the league. Don't get me wrong. And we can, you know lay him out here and like name all of them and all that stuff but man just with like the style he brings to the table it's really tough i think to find a player comparison for him well I, it, to your point it's like okay yeah we could talk about some rugged dudes okay that's fine but nobody's got the explosiveness if you take the of that pool of rugged receivers no one's as explosive as puka nakua right um I think maybe if there was one hesitation, it's short area quickness, you know, again, not long speed too, but I know that he's rugged and tough and that's how he's going to win on these, you know, short to intermediate areas of the field, but he does lack a little bit of that twitchiness too. Um, and I, and I wonder if there's some, you know, if that will lead to some consistency issues, if people can figure out how to game plan around that. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, this guy's, oh God, I mean, he's just incredible, man. How, how do you just drop 181 in your first playoff game? Man, unbelievable. It's hey, still, you know, it feels so easy for him, too. I mean, that's, right. that's the thing that's crazy with, with right. him. I know, I mean, look, the Lions defense sucks. And, like, even the one, I'm glad they didn't call the penalty on it, but even his one incompletion, like, you could argue that there was pass interference on that play. Yeah. I'm glad, you know, we don't need the Rams. Or we don't need the refs, excuse me, calling every, like, little yank. And, we, okay, we, we get enough of the freaking refs already right right right. at one right. point well, I can't remember the call it's like there was some there's some rough moments by the NFL refs in that game as there always are so we don't need him more involved in the game than they are Agreed. okay mm -hmm. but like Puka just everything with for him on Sunday just felt so easy like he's just wide ass open he's like impossible to bring down after the catch it's just it's effortless receiver play right now which is crazy uh did you so you said okay we can have a conversation about cooper cup can we have a conversation about cooper cup i mean the guy saw nine targets matt and when i looked at that in the box score i was shocked nine targets for cooper cup and i'm shocked because it did not feel like he was a part of that offense almost at all no yeah I, i'm with you man I, i'm was shocked by the nine targets too i think a lot of it is because i mean you look at the final line there it's five for 27 a lot of the catches were just of the short variety sort of the very very old version of cooper cup i mean not the current old version of cooper cup but i mean the former <laughs> version of cooper cup when uh -huh. a lot of the stuff he was doing was just like leaking out to the flat there was a lot of that with him uh, on Sunday and they really tried to get him the ball in the red zone. And that was just like, it was not there. Um, you know, so I don't think cup is bad or anything like that. I just think like the baton has so clearly been passed from cup to Nakua. Um, just in terms of one, like he's been available for this team more often than, um, than Cooper cup has this year. He's yeah. been, um, he's more explosive right now, certainly than Cooper cup is. He's a better separator versus man coverage than Cooper cup is right now. I mean, guarantee you when, I mean, the in season reception perception data made that very clear. And yeah. I think that the off season 
uh, data will <laughs> make it even more clear. Right. Um, yeah, I, I just think that Cup right now is like a contributor kind of at, at this point in his career. I think he can still be super productive. Like if he has a big season next year, that that's not going to be surprising. But I, I definitely think the baton has been pretty clearly passed here. How, how much do you think these ankle injuries have sapped him of whatever oh, yeah. he had before, you know? And I think given his age too, I, I am very concerned. Um, that this is more than just a baton passing. Like it's kind of just, I'm really worried that Cooper cup just doesn't have the explosiveness anymore to be a high level player. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not saying he's a bad player, but you don't have to go from great to bad, right? The, you could go from great to good to uh, average to bad, right? So, but my question, I guess to you is how confident are you that he can, I mean, again, I think we could go ahead and say, put to bed, he's going to be a great player again. A guy that's going to win the triple crown in receiving, oh, yeah. right? Like, it's just not, he just doesn't have that now, given the ankle injuries. Uh, but how confident are you that he's still a, a good player, even? You know, a, somebody that, you know, gets you 1,100 yards and, you know, 80 to 90 catches and is just reliable as all get out in that uh, short to intermediate area of the field. How, how, how confident are you, Matt Harmon, in saying Cooper Cup can get to that level? Because quite honestly, given what we've seen over the past, you know, uh, 2023 season, I'm not confident in that. Yeah, I think it's really hard uh, to know this stuff. Like, I mean, great example was I was pretty concerned with Keenan Allen being that guy coming into this year, and it turned out he he was on pace to have one of his best seasons before uh, that Chargers team started to fall right. apart. Um, it's just always tough when you get to this point with injuries. Like, I think it's a pure 50-50 shot um, that, hey, can he – like, I'm with you. It's 0% that he's going to get to the, the, the play that he was at in – 21 and, and even like the early part of 22 where he was just right. the sun and the moon for that Rams offense. Like that's just, that's over. That's, that's done with, but can he be a guy that, yeah, maybe 80 catches and a thousand yards. Could he be that guy? I mean, let's see what they add at the position this year, obviously in the off season. Cause um, they're going to have a lot of resources. And I do think like, Hey, the DeMarcus Robinson stuff was nice. The two, well stuff was nice at times, <laughs> but we could probably add some more juice to this receiver room. Like it's definitely somebody that's like a vertical speed ball winner type down the field. I think like a true, true X receiver would really be great for them. Um, more competition. That room is going to be make it tougher for Cooper cup to produce who I think is probably, yeah, sort of in the twilight point of his career. And just like, Look, man, when injuries start to hit for these guys, like uh, Scott Pianowski says it the best. Like once the cheese goes bad, like it, go, it go, it's bad. Now, again, with the Keenan Allen example I brought up, sometimes guys are playing through an injury. Yeah. And then they get healthy and then it's fine. And that can it's just a coincidence. That they also happen to be 29, 30 years old. Um, I think that's the thing why I say it's like 50 50, because maybe Cooper Cup is just healthy next year and he's fine. But the current trajectory that we're on doesn't make it look like that. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right. So there you go. We, we, <laughs> Sucks to talk about. <laughs> it does. Cause he's, he's a good guy. He's a great player. He's had a great career, man. And, and you just hate it when, when injuries knock these guys down, you know, but, but certainly multiple high level ankle injuries. Now tight rope surgery, whatever that means, you know, screwing, you know, Anytime you put hardware into the ankle, Matt, that's not good, dude. You no, know? that's bad. That's not good, brother. 
Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I do hope I'm wrong, but just kind of having watched him play this year, it's just, it feels really dicey um, that we see this guy become even a good player. Uh, maybe an average player next year. Uh, certainly a contributor for the Rams offense, but a good player? Someone someone where you're like, okay, yeah, each and every week you got a game plan for this guy? Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if we're there now with Cooper Cup. Um, all right, so there you go. That's the show. We, uh, we broke down all these playoff games here for you. And the funny thing, crazy thing is we're not even done uh, as, as Matt and I are recording here uh, through – uh, the wild card weekend. I can't wait to uh, to get back with Matt here in a couple days here uh, and break down some of these divisional matchups. Oh my goodness, we're really getting down to the cream of the crop here. Uh, but we gotta go, man. The show's been running a little bit long. For Matt Harmon, I'm James Go. We'll see you. Peace. <laughs>